0: Thank you guys for being here this morning. We are at the beginning of our uh, brand new series called Bringing Sexy Back, and uh, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be an awesome series. Um, I, it's, just, it's just one of those series where I just got a good feeling. I just think God's just going to show up in some awesome ways. And, um, you know, I think at the beginning of one of these series, a lot of times, you know, people, they, they think they have an idea of what the series is. Uh, and I know I've made a lot of sex jokes over the last two weeks prepping everybody for this, and people have been kind of freaking out and, you know, but listen... Listen. Don't don't think like this is a dating series, and so it's only for young people or single people. Don't think this is a marriage series, so it's only for you know it's only for people who are married. Don't think that it's a it's a series all about sex, and so it's it's not for. Well, I guess it's for everybody. But the idea is that listen. I don't think that we have, and I, I don't think anybody really understands. You know where this series is going, and so I want you to be open um, to this. I really do. Listen, it's not going to get X-rated. You know, everybody's been people have been like, I mean, how's this going to be? I mean, like you know, you're talking about sex and stuff, and it's going to be, dude, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. I'm excited about it. So open up your hearts and your minds to this, and um, and then we will we'll go ahead and we'll get started. I'm going if you guys will just pray with me at the beginning of the series, we'll we'll kick this thing off. God, I just want to thank you so much, Lord, just uh, for everything that you have done in the life of this church. God, I thank you, Lord, just for the, the new year got kind, of, kind of coming to an end. God, we're getting in the flow of things, we're getting excited about stuff, or, you know, we're getting into the, uh, the meat. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll just, uh, as we start this series, or that you would just let your spirit be with us. God, I pray, Father, right now that you will uh, just consume this church with your spirit this morning. Lord, God, as we, as we go through uh, the subject, as we go through this series, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just open up our hearts and our minds to you, Father God. And I pray, Lord, that we will uh, come to know you, God, in a new way, Lord, that you would just uh, move in ways that we can't imagine. God, that you would just let your spirit be with us in your holy In your precious name, amen. All right, I I, I want to make one statement at the beginning of this so we can kind of get to where we're going. And this first statement is, and I think most of us on, on some levels, we can agree with this right here, that this culture and this world, that we have a sex problem in this culture. We have a sex problem in this culture. It's not something that we want to talk about. Uh, it's not something that we really want, to, really want to get to because there's so many different sides of things. And, and I think the problem is when we start thinking about a problem having a sex problem, you know, in our culture or something, one of the things that we tend to think is we've got one extreme or the other. You've got like the secular view of sex, and then you've got this weird oblong view of sex that sometimes the church has, like Christian tingle, right? I mean, that's kind of how we, we view it. It's kind of like, listen, either you're a prostitute or you're a nun, and there's like there's like no, that's funny, you can laugh at that. Prostitutes and nuns are funny, you can laugh at that. And so like, what I want you to understand is, is, that, is that we're not coming from this thing is that like, that sex is a bad thing. We're not coming from this thing is that you have to, I think it's this one or another one, I think that one they say you know, we're going to save holding hands until marriage, you know, or something like that. Listen, the whole thing that, that we've got to understand is that there's a, massive sex problem. And that sex problem in this country comes from the way that we view sex uh, and the way that we think about sex uh, and the fact that the culture is teaching us about sex and the church is not talking about sex anymore because they're afraid of awkwardness and awkward moments. And so I just want to bust the door down through this series. And at the beginning of this, we are going to be talking about sex and we're going to be talking about sex because we have a sex problem. All right. But sex is not the problem. Sex is a good thing. <sighs> sex is a great thing. Sex is a beautiful thing. Sex, 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 sex. All right. Sex is a natural, beautiful, great thing that God has given this world and His people. It is not a dirty thing. It is not a gross thing. It is not a thing that is just to be. It, it, it is a beautiful, good thing. <laughs> We have a sex problem, but sex is not the problem, right? We have to come to terms on that early on in this series, because I believe that this series is going to spurn a lot of conversations, probably conversations that you already should have had, parents. Well, my son, you know, he's he's 16. He probably doesn't even know about sex yet. (laughs) You are outside your freaking mind, There's one thing, I've I've been in and around youth ministry for a long time, there's one thing I have come to the conclusion of, and this is no offense, parents are absolutely stupid when it comes to their own children. Yeah, everybody else is dealing with that, but not my child. I'm like, when I say things like 93% of all male teenagers between the ages of 12 to 18 view pornography at least once a month, parents in this room sit there and go, thank God my child's in that 4%. You lost your mind. We have a sex problem in this country. Do you know that we have two to three million sex slaves globally? Two to three million sex slaves globally. Sex slaves globally. And over 300,000 of those sex slaves are children under the age of 14. It's true. There is a, the statistics kind of vary, but there is a massive Massive majority of our teenagers who are not just view pornography, but are addicted to pornography. 53% of your marriages will be affected by some form of physical adultery. 53%. 53% some sort of sexual sin from your partner will affect your marriage. 53%. Our culture has owned sex for way, 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 way too long. And we have to understand that sex is not something that the culture created. Sex is something that the culture has altered and destroyed, but God created sex. And sex has become a silent topic in the church, and it's led to the culture owning and regulating sex. As we talk about some of these things, and we talk about pornography a little bit, not much, but just a little bit, and we talk, about, we talk about premarital sex, not a lot, but just a little bit, and we talk about adultery, not a lot, but just a little bit, and we talk about some of these different things, some of these different sexual ideas, there's a lot of people that are going to realize and they're going to open up that you deal with this stuff. The statistics are uh, outrageous. The majority of us in this room have dealt with some form of sexual sin, are dealing with some form of sexual sin, or will deal with some form of sexual sin, either against us or by us. Sex is a big deal, and we have a sex problem, but sex itself is not the problem. Sex is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. So if sex is not the problem, then how do we have a bunch of sex problems? We have a bunch of sex problems because of the way that we view sex. When I was a kid, I learned something very, very, very early. And if you haven't learned this as a kid, let me go ahead and give you a lot of advice. All the things that are valuable in your home are hidden at the top of shelves. All the stuff that your parents don't want you to see or don't want you to play with, all this, the funnest stuff, top of shelves. The most valuable things they don't want you to break, they're at the top of shelves. I learned that as a kid. Anytime I was like, what's up there? Whatever's up there. That's what I want to get to. I want to get to that. Why do they put stuff up on the top shelf? Because it's valuable, right? Because it means something, because it's important, and they don't want your grubby little hands to get a hold of them and break them. Everybody's heard the term top shelf, right? I was watching a show called Bar Rescue. I know, Bar Rescue, and I'm a pastor. It's a great show. I was watching Bar Rescue, and <laughs> This guy has made an entire living on running bars, and he goes into these bars that are dying and going out of business, and he, and he restores these bars, and, and he, and he uh, does whatever he does, adds, you know, invests in them, and it's just a really, it's a really cool thing. It brings a lot of jobs back um, to America. But one of the ones that he went into, they were known, up in New York, they were known for having, like, the most available drinks and different things like that. And, and so they had so many, I mean, hundreds and thousands of different types of drinks, and because they had so many different types of drinks, are you guys offended at this? don't be offended at this. Don't be offended at this. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be offended at this. (laughs) Everybody come with me in your mind to a bar. We're going to a bar. (laughs) Mentally, we're going to a bar. We're inside of a bar. There's a bar owner. He's got tons and tons and tons and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different types of drinks, and he can't price them all. And so the guy gives him some advice. He says, what you need to do is you just need to break them down into three levels. Top shelf, which is where the term comes from. Middle shelf. And bottom shelf. And he says, listen, put all your expensive, the most valuable on the top shelf, the middle grade on the middle shelf and the, on the bottom shelf. And that way you don't have to have your, all of your waitresses and all your people learning all these different things. They just know top shelf is one price, bottom shelf is one price, middle shelf is one price. And so, but the problem was, is that they started to do this. People were just coming in and they were accidentally dropping something from the top shelf to the bottom shelf and it was selling for something way cheaper. So you would have something that was worth a thousand dollars. You would have a bottle of wine that was worth a thousand dollars or $1,500 and it was selling for $10 and $15 right, because something on the top shelf is super valuable, when you take something from the top shelf, and you move it to the bottom shelf, it loses its value. See, what happens is is that when you have something on the top shelf, you have something on the top shelf because you don't want everybody to get their hands on it because it's valuable, because it's important, because it holds something of worth, right. And when you take something from the top shelf, and you move it to the middle shelf, or take something from the middle shelf, and you move it to the bottom shelf, the value of that thing drops significantly And what it does is it allows more people to get their hands on it. It allows anybody can walk in and spend $10. Anybody can walk in and spend $15, but not everybody can walk in and spend $1,500. And if you spend $1,500 on a bottle of wine, you're an idiot. (laughs) All right, because I I will call any man a liar who can taste a $1,500 bottle of wine and a $10 bottle of wine and tell me the distinct difference. This one was grown in Napa Valley. This one was grown in my uncle's backyard. Let me tell you the only difference between a $1,500 bottle of wine and a $10 bottle of wine. Somebody made $1,450 off your $1,500 bottle of wine and somebody else only made $5 off the 15 dollars bottle of wine. Profit is just about it. But when you take something from the top shelf and you move it down to the bottom shelf and you make it easily accessible. And you take the worth and you take the value of something and you drop it down. It becomes something that everybody can have and everybody can use. And what we've done with sex, we've taken sex and we've taken it from the top shelf where it belongs and we moved it down to the bottom shelf. We've taken this thing, sex, that is so important and so valid in God's eyes and we've dropped it down to the bottom shelf. And what I want you to understand about... What, Taking sex and dropping it down to the bottom shelf. We're not taking sex on the top shelf and dropping it down to the bottom shelf just because. We're doing that because we don't understand what sex is. Truthfully, we don't. There's Christians who have been married for 50 years, and to this day, you still don't know the beautiful importance and the spiritual strength of what sex actually is. We don't understand the value of sex because we don't understand the value of marriage. We take sex from the upper shelf and we bring it down to the lower shelf because we don't understand how important it is. We don't understand how important it is to God. We don't understand how important it is to marriage. We don't understand how important marriage is to God. I can make you one promise. It's gonna get awkward. It's gonna be difficult for some people to go through this series. But I can promise you, if you stick through it and you listen and you learn and you let God work on your heart, he can bring restoration to your life that you've never experienced. The problem is that marriage for many of us is not top shelf in our life. Even for the long time church long time Christians, we don't know how important and how serious marriage is to God. I believe that there are three things that belong on the top shelf of every Christian's life. One of that is mainly God and your relationship with him, whether or not you know him, whether or not you love him, whether or not you grow to know him more and more every day. The second thing is your purpose in this life, what you were created for, what you were put here to do. And the third thing is the person you unite yourself with to go through life together with, marriage. If any one of those three things are not on the top shelf of your life, I can promise you that you are opening up the door for Satan and the enemy to bring destruction into your life. So just for today, just in the introduction of this series, I want to show you one thing. I wanna show you God's view of sex and what sex is. And let that open up the door of our hearts for the rest of the series. In Malachi, it's the last book of the Old Testament, you can turn there if you want to. God had began to reject the people of Israel. He began to reject their worship, reject their offering, they were believing in God, they were even going through with the offerings and the sacrifices, they were doing all the things good followers of God do, good Christians do, but God was rejecting them and they finally came to God and they said, why are you rejecting our worship? Why are you rejecting our offering? Why are you not listening to us? Why are you not blessing us? Why are you not, why are you not being who you used to be? What's changed? What's different? And God said there were three reasons, there were three things that they were doing that was preventing God from blessing them and preventing God from moving in their life and preventing God from being their God and accepting their worship. Three things. And the second thing was marriage. It starts off in Malachi 2. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altars with your tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So he says, listen, you're worshiping, you're trying, you're sacrificing, you're coming to church, you're doing your thing, but you're just not. God said, I'm rejecting it. There's no point in you coming and and giving offering. There's no point in you coming and giving sacrifices. And There's no point in you coming and and following this. He says, this is important to me. Whatever he's about to talk about is ultimately important to God. He said, this is preventing me from being your God. This is a massive deal to God. He goes on to say this. And you say, why does he not? Why does the Lord reject us? He says, because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth. He starts talking about marriage. He says, I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna tell you why I don't hear your prayers. That's so what he's talking, I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying this is what God was saying to the people of Israel. I'm gonna tell you why when you, when you come to the temple and you offer your sacrifices, something is going on in your culture, something is going on in your life that is incredibly important to me but you don't see it as important. And I'm going to tell you what it is. He says, it's your marriages. It's your marriages. And he starts off with this. He says, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. That word witness there is a legal term. It means that God was a legal witness. God was a legal aid in the point of your marriage. You can go ahead and go on. He says, God is involved on a legal level. I want you to understand. Let's just read through this. Let's just read through this. Keep going. I'm going to come back to that to whom you have been faithless, talking about your wife and your husband, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So this is what he talks about. He says, I want you to understand what marriage is to me. God said, this is, and I want you to understand, you have a view of marriage and I get that, dude. We come from all different backgrounds. Can we agree on that? All right. There's a lot of people in here. You grew up in church and there's a lot of people in here. You didn't grow up in church. And I don't want the people who grew up in church just to assume you know what marriage is because a lot of you don't. And I don't want you to assume just because you you didn't grow up in church that that you're not held to the same accountability and that the same thing didn't happen because you didn't know, but you are. I want you to understand that everybody in this room, we are on even playing ground. Everybody in this room, despite our background, despite our sins, despite where we've come from, despite who we are, despite who we were this morning, we stand even before God. We stand even at the cross. And I don't want, as we go through this, I don't want you to be judged. I don't want you to feel judged. I don't want you to see your sin. I don't want you to to think. I, I want you to just listen and learn. Don't reject anything until we get to the end of it. Can we do that together? This is heavy for me. I want you to understand this. I love every series. I love every series. I think every series is going to be awesome. I think every series is going to result in life change. But there is something about this subject. There is something about this series. There is something about it that I think that God is going to do amazing and awesome things in your life. And I don't want anything to stop you from getting that. So God starts talking about marriage. And he says, I want you to understand if you come to me as a witness... That I was there on the day that you got married. I was there when you chose somebody to be your partner. I was there when you chose somebody to fall in love with. I was there that day. It wasn't just a ceremony. It wasn't just something that a judge came and and gave you, signed a piece of paper. It wasn't just something that you had some people line up on one side and the other and people clapped at the end and you kissed and you walked off. It wasn't just a ceremony. I want you to understand that that on your wedding day, despite whoever was there, I was there as a legal witness to what was happening. I was there as a legal witness to give approval to what was happening. You cannot get married without God being a part of it. See, a lot of problems what we do. You ever seen a three-legged stool? You ever seen a three-legged stool? You ever sit on a three-legged stool? sits pretty good, right? What happens if you move one of those legs? How well can you sit on that stool? Answer out loud. You got a three-legged stool, you remove one of those stools, what happens? You fall. See, a lot of times what we try to do is we try to go, our culture, our our people, even us, we try to go to to the altar, we try to go to the church, and we try to have our weddings, and we try to have our marriages, and we sign pieces of paper, and we go through it, but we forgot to invite God to the marriage. And what happens is you try to start your life one man, one leg, one woman, the other leg, and then you try to stand there without God propping you up. And here's the one I want you to understand is that marriage is something that God created. Marriage is something that God defined. And I don't care whether you went to the courthouse and got a paper signed. I don't care whether you went through the whole ceremony. I don't care if you've attended church your whole life. If you tried to involve yourself in a marriage without God being a part of it, that marriage is unstable and will crumble despite if everything else seems successful. God said, I want you to remember Israel. I want you to remember that on that day when you stood there with your wife and you stood there with your husband, that I was there, whether you invited me to it or not, I was there as a witness to what was taking place. It's a great and massive deal to me. And he said, to whom you have been faithful, talking about your spouse, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So he just goes by and he says, listen, this is what a marriage is. A marriage is when one person decides that they want to be companions with another person. They said, I want to be a companion. I want to be a partner. I choose you to do life with me. We're all still in agreement. That's part of marriage, right? You meet somebody. They're hot. Uh, You're attracted to them physically. Then you get to know their personality. It's not really the other way, right? I know people want to think that. But everybody's like, it's about their personality. You'll never get to know their personality if you don't think they're hot to begin with. (laughs) I mean, that's just the truth. If you are not attracted, you wouldn't, you're not going to get in a relationship with somebody that you were just not at She's hideous, but she has a great personality. <laughs> That's never happened in the face of the earth, I can promise you. Somewhere along the lines, you looked at her and you go, mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> then you get to know her personality. That's how it works. That's how it happens. When you're choosing a companionship, it starts off with this friendship or this relationship or this physical attraction, and then you start to hang out with each other, and you start to get to know each other, and there's something about her or there's something about him that connects you with them, and then eventually you get to this idea that this is the one I want to do life with. This is the one. This is the companion I want to be. I want to partner in life with this person. I, whatever it is, man, maybe she, could, maybe she could sing. Maybe she was a good cook. Or Maybe he had a six-pack. Courtney didn't get that, but you know. And so... Maybe whatever it was, it was just something about it was It was the way she talked. It was the way she was with people or the way he was with people. It was, it was his drive. It was, it was the way he loved you. It was the gifts he got you. There was something about this person that you saw that you were attracted to that you fell in love with that you wanted to be with and you decided somewhere along the way, this is the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with. This is the person that I want to go through life with. This is the person that I want to raise a family with. This is the person I want to celebrate the good times with and, and go through the bad times together. This is the person this is the one. This is the partnership. This is the companionship. This is what I want. This is the person I want. And what God is saying is that when you choose that, and when you find that person, that you a marriage is, you come to Him, and you say, God, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. God, this is the person I'm to spend the. This is the girl. This is the guy. This is who I want to go through life with. This is who I want to come. And God says, I want you to understand something about marriage. Whether you invited me or not. All right, I was there, but when you invite me, and I okay that I said I want you to understand what marriage is. Marriage is a companionship. Right, it's, a, it's a person that becomes your companion. And then that companionship, that friendship, that relationship becomes something deeper, and it's sealed and founded by a covenant. And this is the word I want you to write down. If there's if there if there's one word you remember today, this is the word I want you to remember: the word covenant. I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. Teenagers, the ones that singles, the ones that aren't married yet, I want you to get this. If you've been married and you're on your way to the second marriage, I want you to get this. If you're in the middle of a great 30-year marriage, I want you to get this. I want you to understand this, that this word covenant is immaculately important to the subject. He says, I want you to understand that when you find that person, whoever that is, that person that you love, that person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, and then you come to me with that person and you say, I want to marry this person. I want to partner with this person. I want this to be. Then God says, then we're going to be in a covenant together. Listen, this is God's view on marriage, not yours. God says, when you pick that person, when you decide, when you find that person that I've designed for you, and you, and you guys come together, and you decide, you declare, I want to I be, be partnered with this person in life, you stand before me, and then we're going to make a covenant together. Do you understand the marriage ceremony? Do you understand what is happening in that moment? That's you coming together with another human being, and you're standing not before a preacher, not before your family, not before a crowd, not before the government, not before the judge. You're standing before God himself. And God is initiating a covenant with you. A covenant. A covenant is a deep spiritual agreement that you will be with this person under God for the rest of your life. It's massive. God makes covenants all throughout Scripture. God made a covenant to Adam. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Noah. God made a covenant with David. They're massive, massive moments not just in their lives, but in the life of history. When God makes a covenant with someone, it is massive. It is a huge, huge deal. And the way that the majority of these covenants were made in the Old Testament, something was killed. It was a blood covenant. Something was sacrificed. It's much like, you know, you hear the old gangster stories and the whole mafia deal when you go in and you're going to join the family, la Cosa Nostra. I was sick, not sick, I was just feeling like crap the other day, and I watched some TV, I couldn't sleep, it was just horrible, and a two-hour show, when the mafia came on, and I watched it. Only time in my life I regretted being a preacher. I was like, oh, that would be so cool <laughs> to be in the mafia. Oh, gosh. Well I watched it, and, and one of the things that they do is they go in and they make a covenant. You can Facebook quote that. Jordan said the only time he regretted being a preacher was so that he couldn't join the mafia can you hold that against me later in life? But one of the things that they do when they come into the mafia, it's this lifelong thing. Whoever the, the, the godfather, they do a couple of things, but whoever the godfather was, they would come in and they would, they would cut the hand of the godfather and they would cut the hand of, the, of the, whoever was joining the family and then they would join together and they would go through the little ritual. And the idea was that this is a covenant. This isn't a promise. This isn't a, yeah, I'll get it done. This isn't a thing. This isn't, it's not like when I tell Courtney I'm gonna take the trash out. It's like, this is like a thing that will actually happen. All right, this is a Covenant. And they cut the hands, and it's the blood, and it's the idea that there is just it's the most, it's the it's the greatest seal, it's the greatest agreement, it's the greatest, it's just something crazy powerful. And in every covenant we see in bio, we see in the Bible, there is something like that. There's either a blood or there's something that kind of cements that together, that covenant, that that agreement, whatever that is, that, that union. And I want you to understand that. Because the next sentence that God is about to to say. Should create a paradigm in your life of marriage and relationships and dating and sex that should ultimately change your view on everything if you don't already hold this view. He said, The companionship right, is founded in, in a covenant between God and man. And then he goes on to say this this is talking about God. Did he not make them one with a portion? of the spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking but godly offspring? Now, if you have a highlight or highlight that, I want you to understand what God is saying to his people, what God is saying to you, to me about marriage and about relationships. He says, when you chose your companion, when you chose your partner that you wanted to do life with and you came to me, And you said, God, Father, this is the one I want to do life with. And I approved of it. And I stood there as a witness to this companionship. And I gave my approval. And then not you, the man and the woman, not you two, but the man, the woman, and God, the man, the woman, and me. We came into a covenant together. And in that process of that covenant... I united you together and I made you one. Jesus says it like this in Matthew. He said, this is why they will come together. Two flesh will become one flesh. Two flesh will become one flesh. You'll no longer be a man. You'll no longer be a woman. But you will be man and woman, husband and wife. You will be one body, one flesh, united in God. I want you to understand that. I want you to get this because you think, well, that's not new. We get that. I've heard that. That's what it is. That's what it is. That's what it is. That's what it is. What it is. But I want, you to, I want you to really read this. He says, did I not make you one? You did not make yourself one. God himself got involved and made you one. And the blood that held the covenant together wasn't blood this time, but it was the spirit of God himself. It was God's living spirit that was the cement That was the glue that united you together with your spouse. So let's just back up for just a second. You start dating. You run into this girl, run into this guy. They're hot, you're attracted to them in some level, some way. You see them, you go on a date with them. All right, you take her someplace nice. You guys start to talk. You guys start to figure each other out. You start to realize there's something special. There's something great. There's something amazing about this person. You decide that this is it. This is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. This is the person I want to be a companion with. This is the person I want want, want to raise children with. I want to go through my career with. I want to serve God with. This is it. This is the person. And then you both feel that way. And then you both, you come to God. And you say, God, this is the person, this is it. God stands as a legal witness to what is happening. He gives the approval. And then he joins you together with his own spirit. And you make a covenant. And then you and your wife or you and your husband are joined together by the spirit of a living God. It physically, spiritually, and emotionally you become connected in the deepest way imaginable to another human being and Jesus even says this is why they will leave their family they'll leave their father they'll leave their mother because they will become one person it's massive it's massive it's massive the covenant is a union of two people becoming one sealed together by the spirit of God that's what the ceremony of marriage is that's what happens that's what takes place during a marriage it's an eternal bond sealed together by the spirit of a living God and do you know how this process ends this process ends it's consummated by sex go to the next slide the entire process is completing during the initial act of sex. That's what I want you to understand. I want you to get this. Because there's a lot of people in this room that everything I just described, that wasn't your first time. What sex is originally designed for is to be the physical spiritual and emotional act of two souls, not bodies, souls being knit together by the presence and the spirit of a living God. That's what sex is. See, sex is top shelf. Sex isn't just something that happens in a car after a Friday night football game. Sex isn't just something that happens on the weekends. Sex isn't just a thing. Our culture says it's that way, and, and we think it's that way, and then that's what sex has been watered down. It's just a thing. it's just this physical thing, isn't it? It's just like working out. It's just, a, it's just a part of dating. You know, Go see a movie, grab some food, have some sex. It's just that thing that we do when our parents go out of town. It's just that thing we do. It's just how we end the night. Married or not married, sex is just sex. It's just this physical thing. It's just we're animals at the end of the day, and sex is just a part of it. That's what sex is. That's why pornography is not that dangerous. It's just, it's just sex. It's just this thing. It's just this totally natural. It's just this thing that happens. It's just this thing that happens. I love my wife, you know what, but if I want to have sex with somebody else, it's no big deal because sex is just sex. It's just sex. It's just this thing that happens. That's why sex can be bought and sold. Because it's just sex. It's just, it's just a thing. It's just a commodity. It's just, it's, there's no difference than going and working out, going for a job, going on a date, going to see a movie. Sex is just sex. It's just this thing. It's the greatest lie the enemy has ever told you. See, you don't understand how important sex is. You don't get it. I I don't think hardly any of us do. I don't fully understand it. I don't fully grasp it. Sex is massive. There's a lot of people, a lot of people. For a long time, I just thought, man, sex is just what it is. Sex is just sex. Sex is just physical. Sex is just that thing, man. Make out with some girls. Do the deed. Just go play basketball. It's just a part. It's just pleasure. It's just a part of fun. It's just a part of growing up. It's just a part of being an adult. It's just normal. i me ask you some very questions that are gonna make a lot of you upset, but I'm gonna ask them anyway. If sex is just sex, then what's the difference in somebody that hits a child versus somebody that molests a child? If sex is just physical, if sex is just a thing, like our culture wants us to believe, and like many of you have justified and watered down in your mind, if sex is just a thing, then, I mean, theoretically, there's no difference in just hitting a child too hard and then molesting a child, right? The sex is just physical. Why can a woman get beat by her husband and recover fine? But when she goes through the horrific act of rape, why does it destroy her? If sex is just physical. See, you can't have it both ways. A lot of people in this room, sex is just sex when you want it to be. But you know as well as I do that sex is not just sex. There's a massive difference in hitting a child. A child can get beat and forget it and move on in life. But you take any counseling class and they'll tell you if a child goes through sexual molestation outside of a great act of God, their life will be affected for the rest of their life. That's because sex is not just sex. Sex is massive. And see, what happens is is when when you start to take sex outside the confines of marriage and you put it down on the lower shelf and you separate it and I'm going to tell you something. The lower that marriage comes down the shelf, the more sex and marriage gets separated. And when sex gets ultimately separated from marriage, there is no end to where sex will go. Read Romans 1. God says, when, when they start to take sex away and they start to reject me and reject my things and they take sex out of marriage, He says, there is no end. They will go on and it will go on and it will go on until they will, sex will become the greatest darkness and tragedy that this world has to offer. It's what happens when we lower sex. And one of the things that me and Courtney love in our little house, we own a little house. Inside that little house is a little fireplace and we love it. Go out, chop some wood, put some wood in there. Turn off the lights, have the fire. It warms the house, It creates an atmosphere, an ambiance, and we watch TV. And so what happens is, I just love it. I mean, really, the, the fire creates this awesome moment. Everybody loves a bonfire, right? Everybody loves a bonfire. Everybody loves getting out watching a fire, especially if you're a redneck. You love fires. I mean, who needs entertainment if you have a fire? Just stare at a fire for hours of the day. I love it. All right, but we lay on the couch, we watch TV, we just hang out and just it's just this awesome ambiance, This fire creates. It's a beautiful thing, man. You know, like candles, like why do romantic dinners always have candles? Why? Low lights and a fire, beautiful thing, man, right? We agree with that, it's cool. Valentine's Day's coming up, guys. If you haven't got anything planned, you're already behind. All right, plan something. That way I don't have to counsel you guys preliminary of divorce, just do it. Make it dark, get some candles. Candles in a romantic dinner, fire's a beautiful thing. Just for the sake of, sake of argument. Say me and Courtney lay down, we take that same wood, we take that same flame, we take that same candle, we, we take the fire out of the fireplace and the candle off the table and we put it right in the middle of our living room. What happens? Same beautiful ambiance, Same great atmosphere. No, you take the fire to the fireplace, you put it in the middle of the living room, that fire that was once beautiful, that was once awesome, was once created such a great atmosphere in your life, you take that fire to that fireplace, you put it in the living room, it becomes a destructive force that will burn your house to the ground. It's the same thing with sex. When you take sex and you separate it from marriage... See, sex was designed just like what this is. That's what God said it was. Sex is that thing that happens. It's part of that process of two flesh becoming one. And it's designed in the context of marriage. And when you take it outside of marriage, just like taking a fire outside of the fireplace, and you put it on the living room floor, there is no end to the destruction that it will bring to your life, period. Chaos, confusion, guilt, shame, emotions, feelings that we were never meant to feel. That's what happens when you take sex outside of the confines of marriage because when you take sex out of the confines of marriage, you don't know where it's gonna go. When it's in the confines of marriage, you know what it is, you see its beauty, you see what it can offer. When you take it outside, you don't know what direction it'll go, you don't know how far it will go, you don't know what it will become. Pedophilia, rape, child molestation, that is the outcome of a culture that takes sex outside of marriage and does whatever they want with it. You don't own sex. You didn't create sex. You didn't invent sex. The culture didn't. The rappers didn't. God invented sex. God created sex. God created marriage. We are mere humans. We do not have the divine right to take what God said belongs on the top shelf and put them on the bottom shelf. And when we look God in the face and we spit in his face and we take one of the most important, beautiful things that he's given us and we lay it down on our living room floor and we do whatever we want with it, we will pay the consequences when it burns the house down. Sex is a great, magnificent, beautiful gift. And when it is taken out of the confines, the designs of God, it will take everything from you. Everything. And despite all the horrificness that it can bring, do you know the one thing that it will take from everybody? The one thing many of us have never experienced, many of us have never experienced, and those of us that have, we look back and we know we did it and we know we missed it and we pray to God that one day we'll get it back. Do you know what it is? Do you know what sex will take from you outside of marriage? The greatest thing, true intimacy and true love. See, a marriage paper doesn't give that. That's why a lot of us are in long-term marriages and we hate each other. We've become business partners You make this money, I'll make this money. We'll live in this house, we'll pay our bills. Occasionally we'll have sex with each other, but we don't love each other. We have no idea what intimacy is, and man, I just can't wait to die. I mean, some of us are laughing, but how many people do you know that that is exactly what it is? People who are married and don't know what intimacy is. See, intimacy, love, companionship, that deep-seated part, of marriage, man, that's the gift. To experience that love. And see, and the way God designed it was that you would you'd meet somebody. Man, you'd be attracted to them. You'd get to know them. You would fall in love with them. You would bring each other to God. God would be a legal witness for you. He would okay it. He would approve it. You and him and, and, and your spouse would come together in a covenant Then through God's spirit, he would unite you together into one flesh, one spirit, one person. And then you would begin a sex life, an intimate, loving sex life. And out of that love and that companionship and that intimacy comes what? Comes life. He says, what was the one thing that our God was after? Life. offspring." Not your job, not your career. Greatest thing you will ever do in this life is give life. And God says, that's the design. That's what marriage is. That's what sex is. It is companionship, partnership, intimacy. And we get to experience not only love and intimacy and life with God, but we get to experience Making life and giving life. Sex is a massive, 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 massive deal. We have a sex problem in this culture. But sex is not the problem. Sex is a beautiful thing. The problem is what God says needs to be top shelf, we've made bottom shelf. The problem isn't that we don't find worth in sex or don't value sex. The problem is, is that we don't value God, God's view on marriage. We don't get it. We don't understand it. We don't think it's as important as it is. It's not important to us like it is to God. Marriage isn't top shelf. That's the problem. And here's where I'm going throughout the course of the series. Because this one thing is true for many of us marriage isn't top shelf. We don't get the value of it. We don't get the worth of it. We don't have the worth of sex. We don't see the value in sex. We move sex down to the bottom shelf because we don't see the worth of marriage. We throw the worth of dating right out the window. We don't understand how important it is. We don't get dating. We don't get the point of dating. We don't understand the value of, of building relationships. We throw all that out the window because it's all on the bottom shelf. If marriage is on the bottom shelf, dating's on the bottom shelf. Sex is on the, on the bottom shelf. And when you just start kind of giving yourself away to to dating and relationships and sex, what slowly begins to happen, and we'll learn this if you don't already know it, you start to devalue yourself. You start to devalue yourself. We have a sex problem. The problem isn't sex. The problem is that marriage and what marriage is and God and who God is to us in this marriage, it's not top shelf. We don't value because we haven't valued it, we've made a ton of mistakes. We've brought sex way down. And we've all sinned. But I want, I'm going to close out today with a, a plea to you. Anybody remember the story in John about the woman in adultery? The Pharisees um, wanted to trap Jesus and so they found this woman they caught this woman in the act of adultery and they grabbed up this woman and they brought her to jesus and they threw her down before jesus and they said we caught this woman in adultery our law says to stone her to condemn her to kill her what do you say so now you got jesus standing there you know jesus cool cat doesn't even really address her in the beginning. Doesn't really address them or what they say. He just says, okay, you're right. You called her an adultery. So stone her. But whoever has no sin, whoever has no sin in their life, you cast the first stone. And then the Bible says that Jesus bent down and he started to write in the sand. Now, it doesn't say what he wrote, but it said as the Pharisees watched whatever it was that he was writing. They dropped their rocks one by one and they turned and they walked away. And then Jesus looked down at the woman who was clearly guilty of adultery, found face down before him. He says, where are, the, uh, where are the guys that are condemning you? She said, they're gone. And he said, well, I don't condemn you either, so go and sin no more. And then he walks away. Here's a beautiful story. Beautiful story beautiful story. Because you have this woman who was caught in adultery, deserved death, clearly guilty, but she bows down before Christ. Christ sees her. She knows that she's done wrong. And Christ forgives her, tells her about the sin and, and moves on. It's a beautiful, beautiful story of restoration. But there's two warnings I want to give you, one of which is pretty common, the other of which I think goes completely missed in the story. I want to talk about the Pharisees for just a second. See, the Pharisees were the righteous ones. They were the ones that had it all together. They were the perfect ones. You know, all those people. And the Pharisees caught this woman in adultery and they bring her before Jesus and they throw her down and they're saying, we condemn her. We caught her. She's guilty. Let's judge her. Let's kill her. She deserves it. And you've probably heard, if you've been around church for a long time, you've probably heard this story and you've heard people say, don't be a Pharisee, right? Don't be a Pharisee. Don't judge people. Don't condemn people. Okay, point number one, don't be a Pharisee throughout this series. Very basic. You all saw this coming. Don't be a Pharisee throughout this series. Don't hold people in judgment. Don't condemn people. Because we're talking about some of the the stuff nobody wants to talk about. We're talking about the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. We're going to get into some things that nobody really wants to talk about. All right? And here's the news. I want you to understand this. Everybody look at me. I want you to get this. No matter what you think about this series, I want you to understand this, that the people closest to you are dealing with these things, your own children, your husband, your wife, your parents, the people sitting next to you in this very moment. There are people in this room that are hurting because of sexual sin. There are people in this room that are destroyed emotionally because of sexual sin and promiscuity. There are people who are sitting in this room right now, they have dark secrets that eat away at them. And because of the Pharisees of this world, because of the judgment and the condemnation that the church has had on this subject, they've sat there with it inside of them. And instead of dealing with it, they've let it eat them up. And so I'm asking you parents, don't get in the way of your children being restored through the course of this series. Wives, don't stand in the way of your husband being restored and forgiven in this series. Husbands, don't stand in the way of your wives being restored and forgiven in this series. Because if the statistics are even close to right, the vast majority of us in this room right now, we are dealing with some sexual sin and the consequences of sexual sin. And deep inside, right now in this moment, you know it. Don't stand in the way. We will take hypocrites in this church. We really will. We will take people who aren't perfect. We will take sinners. We will take, we'll take a whole bunch. But the people I do not want in this church are the Pharisees. I don't want you to stand in the way of people coming to Christ. If you're going to judge, if you're going to condemn, go hang out somewhere else for the next few weeks. Because I think that God wants to restore That's point number one. The second one that I think a lot of people just miss, a lot of people don't talk about it, we don't really talk about it, is that not only was this woman, the sinner, sitting there, but there were the Pharisees, the sinners there too. They were all sinning. You get that, right? God said, you don't have any sin in your life, throw a stone. Nobody threw a stone. I believe, most people believe, that Jesus started writing their sins in the ground, and as they saw him writing the sins, they knew that he knew, so they walked away rather than dealing with it there wasn't one sinner and some religious people, there was a whole bunch of sinners. But everybody but the woman walked away unforgiven and unrestored because they didn't deal with the sin in their life. See, there's a lot of you church people, and I'm telling you right now, this is not the unchurched people. We're going to be fine. Those of us that know, all right, we're going to be fine but it's all the ones, the the deacons and the elders and the the church leaders and the ones that that you put up this image of perfection and you put up this image, you're the one that's gonna walk through this series and potentially walk away unrestored because you don't wanna deal with that sin in your life because you've built up this image. You've built up this image, and that image that you've built up is preventing God from working in your life and forgiving you and restoring you, and you're holding on to it. And I'm begging you, don't be a Pharisee in the sense that you hold people back, and don't be a Pharisee in the sense that you sit through this series, and you see the sin in your life and the consequences of that sin in your life, and you walk away unchanged. Because I promise you, the one thing that you need in this life is restoration from Jesus Christ. You need that in your life. You will never break some of those sexual sins in your life unless you bring them to the feet of Jesus Christ. Ever. Restoration is a beautiful, amazing thing. And I believe with all of my heart that God wants to restore wants to restore, wants to forgive, wants to raise up, wants to bless, wants to take marriages that are in the dumpster and give them life again, marriages that are about to sign divorce papers and give them life again. Some of you guys, some of you women, you've been dealing with secret sexual sin for a long, 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 long time and God wants to dig deep down into your soul and your mind and your heart and he wants to find it and he wants to get it out and he wants to be done with it. So don't sit in this seat pretending like you don't deal with it because you do. And the second thing I want to do throughout the course of this series is I want to bring some preparation to your life. For the single people, I want to prepare you for your next dating relationship. I want to prepare you for your next serious relationship. I want to prepare you for marriage. All right, for the young people, you think marriage is way off. Marriage is way off you're going to make some serious mistakes at this time in your life that is going to affect your marriage 15 years from now. I want to prepare you from the youngest to the oldest. I want preparation to come. If you say, Jordan, I'm sitting here and I get it, dude. I get it I understand. That's me. Everything you're saying is me. You know what? I've already done it. I've already walked through. I've already gone through a divorce or two. I'm going to prepare you for the next. There is nothing that we can do that God will not forgive us for and move on. No matter where you are in life, I believe in this series, God can bring preparation and God can bring restoration to your life. And so as we kind of close today, my goal this morning was to simply teach you and show you what sex really is and how beautiful and amazing it is and what it's supposed to be in God's design. And we're going to talk a lot more about it. We're going to talk a lot about dating. We're going to talk a lot about marriage. We're going to talk a lot about dating inside of marriage talk about a lot of awesome things and I believe God wants to do nothing but give us life through this series and so I would like everyone to join me together today and this week and pray for the rest of this series parents I would love for you to spend some time this week praying for your children and your teenagers and your kids and even your 20-somethings and 30-somethings just pray for your kids Husbands, I would love for you to take some time this week and pray for your wives. Pray for preparation and restoration. Wives, I would love for you to pray for your husbands. Children, I would love for you to pray for your parents and pray for yourself. Join me in prayer that God will move in this series in a way that we can't imagine. Pray for restoration to come. The second thing is, is that every Wednesday, every Wednesday, We're going to post something on the website, and we'll share it on Facebook. So if you're not connected to those two things, get connected. And it's going to be what I'm calling conversation starters for husbands and wives to have, for teenagers to have. It's not going to be complex. It's not really going to give answers. It's just going to be conversation starters. And I'm going to ask you to talk about some of these things, have some confession time have some talk time talk about some of these issues talk about some of these problems as we go through it and remember don't be a Pharisee don't be the one that stands in the way of your loved one finding restoration in Jesus Christ and the last thing with you this morning so that we know. I lost my virginity when I was 14 years old. I remember being 11 years old and I walked into a, a Books of Million and I went into the bathroom and there were two two magazines sitting on the back of the toilet. I remember opening up those magazines and and finding something I'd never seen before. I was 11 years old when I opened up that magazine. I was 24 when I put it down. There's deep-seated sexual sin that attaches itself to us in ways that we can't explain, And for many of us, it holds on to us and we become so good at hiding it and covering it up. To this very day, I have to fight so hard to keep myself pure. I was 14 years old. 14 years old when I lost my virginity. My entire view on everything was just insane, really. And I'm going to tell you something right now. It messed me up for a long time. My greatest regret in this life was staring my wife in the eyes before I asked her to marry me and telling her the truth about who I was and the things that I had done and walking through that, because I'm gonna tell you something. If you still have the view of sex on a low shelf in your mind you think that stuff I did in my past, that's not gonna affect my future, you're dead wrong. You're dead wrong. The things you did as a teenager, some of you are still dealing with it because you've never dealt with it. There are things in your life There are things that you have done. There are things that you have gone through that will affect who you are later in life. And if you leave them back there and just pretend like they didn't happen and don't address them and don't confront them and don't go after them, I promise you they will rear their ugly head back up and they will start to take from you. The statistics are overwhelming what we're struggling with. And I don't want you to sit there and miss an opportunity to be restored by the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to sit there and and, and think that I'm a slaughter, I'm a whore, because I went through this in high school and blah, blah, blah. I don't want you to think that, man. You're a daughter of God. You're a daughter of God. I don't want you to sit there and think, man, I'm the only one that's struggling with pornography. I'm the only one do know you're not. Statistically, 93% of us are or have. I don't want your pride. I don't want your image. I don't want any of that bull crap. I want to be so freaking for real in this series. I want God to take things from you because I can stand here. I can tell you today, i dealt with something for 10 years and God took it from me and I've never dealt with it again. It can happen. It can happen. God can restore every ounce of your sexuality. God can give it back to you. I promise you, you can go into marriage pure through the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mark you for life. I know that God's viewpoint is perfection and we look at our life and we know that we haven't lived up to it. That's the point. We need Jesus. We need Jesus Christ. You can't fight these things on your own. You can't deal with these things on your own. And if you try to tackle something as massive as marriage, without the grace and the love and the compassion and the power of Jesus Christ, you will crumble greatly and you will suffer greatly. And being 27 years old now and looking back on the course of my life and my sexual life, I'm going to tell you right now, there is nothing better, more powerful than godly intimacy with my wife than all the sex in the world. And so I want you to understand this image, this thing that God has created, this perfection, it's something to be chased after. It's something to be envied. It's something to go after. And I want to leave you with this. No matter where you are in life, no matter where you are in your marriage, no matter where you are in your dating relationship, no matter what you've done, that perfection can still be achieved through the power of Jesus Christ. There's nobody in this room that is counted out. There's nothing you've done that's counted you out of experiencing a perfect relationship that God has planned for you. Nothing, nothing can prevent that. Not the sins of your past, not the sins of yesterday, nothing. And so I'm gonna ask all of us, unless your marriage is 100% perfect and you've just got it, I want us to chase together over the course of this series that perfect image that God wants for us because God wants that to you. He wants your marriage to be one of the greatest things in your life. He does not want it to be a headache. He does not want it to be something that's despised. He does not want it to be, he wants it to be, he wants you to find your joy ultimately in him and then inside of that marriage, inside of that union, so as a church, as a people, over the course of this series. Let's take sex back. Let's bring it back and put it back to where it's supposed to be, and let's chase that perfection that God wants for us, because God wants it for us. You guys will stand with me. I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit and your presence rest in this room this morning. God, I pray, Lord, right now that you will move, God, in the hearts and the minds, Every single person in this room, Lord God, I know, God, I know, Father, we can, we, can, we can talk and run our mouth and we can try to put up these images, God, but I know, I know two things are true. I know that there are hardly anybody in this room that has experienced the perfection of what you want for us in our relationships and in our marriages and in our sex life. God, I know that. Father, and I also... Know that there's nobody in this room that doesn't want that perfection. I know that everybody in this room right now, God, they want that. They want what you want for them. They want that greatness. They want that pleasure. They want that happiness. They want that joy, God. And I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit and your power guide us to that over the course of this series, God. I pray, Lord, right now that you will not let any sins of our past, God, any few points of the past, God. I pray, Lord, God, don't let anything, anything that we've done hold us back, God, from chasing. That Don't let us sit here this morning and think we are unworthy. God, because we find our worth in Jesus Christ. And because of what Christ has done on the cross, we stand here this morning cleansed, available to chase after what you've got planned for us. God, I pray for every single, single person in this room, Lord God, every single person, every single teenager, college kid, 20-something, 30-something that is, that is looking, God, to date. I pray, Lord, for those single people that you will let your spirit be with them, God. I pray, Lord, that you will begin to work on their heart and work on their life, God, that you will reveal yourself to them, that you will make yourself known to them, that you will teach them, that you will restore them, and that you will prepare them for the future, Father. I pray, Lord God, for all the relationships, the dating relationships and the engagements, Father God, that you will put your hands on them, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that you will reveal and convict, God. I pray that you will prepare and restore them, God, for the marriage that's ahead of them, God. I pray, Lord, right now for all of the marriages, Father God, that are dealing with some of this stuff and maybe they don't even know they're dealing with it, God. But I pray, Lord, right now that you will bring an intimacy and a love, God, and life back to every single marriage in this church, God. I pray, Lord, that you will take the marriages that exist in this room, God, and that you will give them life. You will breathe life into them, God, that we will experience a joy, God, in our marriages that we didn't even know existed, Father. I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit, God, from the youngest to the old, to the single, to the married, Father God, that you will move in the hearts and the minds. I pray, Lord, that you will shift us and drive us us, Lord, God, to that top shelf, God, what you have planned for us, God. I pray, Lord, anybody, anybody, today, next week, at the end of the series, God, anybody that draws close to you for restoration, that draws close to you for forgiveness, that draws close to you for healing, God, for forgiveness, God, for salvation, Father, I pray, Lord, that you accept them with loving, open arms, God. Father, you are holy and you are magnificent. I believe you are a miraculous God and you can bring comfort and healing to every situation in this room. I pray, Lord God, let us leave here with an open heart this morning. I pray, Lord, that your will will be done in this house through the series. Consume us as we worship, Father. Every single week, this altar will be open for you to pray for you to seek healing, for you to seek forgiveness, for you to simply pray for your family, for you to pray for your kids. This altar is open for anything you need it for. And I believe with all my heart that God is here. Let your spirit be with us this morning. You're holding your precious name.